0: Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: A warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold and today I've got Dr. Clinton Arnold joining me which I'm always looking forward to. He has um, uh, been on the show several times and I always can't wait to have him back on because commentaries that he's written I've went out and bought. Usually as a radio host you get stuff sent to you for free but I couldn't wait and I didn't ask. I just went and bought them because they're amazing and I love them and he's written commentaries on Acts, Ephesians and Colossians and he uh, is also a uh, Professor, the dean of uh, Talbot School of Theology, and always glad to have him on. Clint, welcome. Hey, it's so good to
2: be with you again today, Bill.
0: Thanks. So, how are you feeling today?
2: Well, hey, I've I, I've got a common cold, and so my voice may sound a little bit different than uh, previous times I've been with you. But I feel I feel fine, and I've taken three COVID tests, and they are all negative. So I'm grateful for that.
0: Yeah. Well, just so you know, my previous guest, uh, David Miles, uh, who upon leaving, bowed his head and prayed for you before he left. Oh, that's very thoughtful and kind. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I did too. We both did. Rosie and I both did. <clears throat> All right. Let's... Uh, today's topic, uh, the the, um, the excavation of uh, Colossae, I, that's, I don't even know where to begin with this.
2: I, I can't express how excited I am about that. I... Colossians has been something I've worked on for 30-plus years, dating back to my doctoral studies. Wow. And I was hoping that, hope against hope, that they would begin excavating it before I died. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, it's, it, they will be getting started. They've done two site surveys. Uh, The second is underway right now, and then probably uh, uh, one year from now is when they will actually begin digging at the site.
0: So, Clint, when was the site of Colossae identified?
2: The site was identified as the biblical site of Colossae in the 1800s. So we've known about it for a long time, Uh, but it has never been excavated, and Part of that is uh, it's in modern-day Turkey, and one needs to gain permission from the Turkish government. So a number of groups have applied but have regularly been denied opportunity to go in and excavate. And recently, uh, well, I should say in the last 20 years, the Turks at the University of Denizli, which is close by, have really developed in the area of archaeology. And they've been doing amazing work at Laodicea, which is only eight miles away from Mm Colossae. And there's uh, just been uh, extensive excavation and uh, restoration work at the site of Laodicea. And now they're going to focus on Colossae.
0: I'm fascinated with how one would go about identifying... Uh, a site like this, are there technology advantages that I've never even thought of that they would use to say, yep, I'm pretty sure it's right here?
2: No, that's a really good question uh, because, you know, it's a big agricultural area. How do you find out, you know, there's a site? Well, in this particular place, there's obvious building materials that are strewn around the ground. There, uh, there's a big mound at Colossi which is common for an acropolis uh, to have a big mound where you, some of your principal buildings would be located. Uh, just north of the mound, there is a graveyard. They call it a necropolis with uh, different kinds of uh, tombstones and things of that nature, and. They've discovered uh, inscriptions on some of these places that actually mention Colossae. Uh, So there's a number of things there that help us gain information about it. We also know from historical sources that it was by a river, the Lycus River, and that river, sure enough, runs right by this site that we've identified.
0: Mm -hmm. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. We're talking about the excavation of the city of Colossae, which was identified two hundred years ago and now they're getting ready to go to it. Clint, maybe you would talk to us about what the city of Colossae would have been like if I'm a if I'm a resident in the first century, what was it like? As a resident in the first
2: century, Colossae would have been kind of a small town. Uh, It was far overshadowed by nearby Laodicea. Laodicea was a big city, big uh, uh, agora, uh, commercial market places, multiple temples, all sorts of things. It was a vast area. And then just 10 miles to the north was a city called Herapolis uh, that was also a significant and big site in the first century. Uh, Colossi uh, would have been a much smaller site, and people living in Colossi would have been involved in agriculture. They would have been involved raising livestock and animals like cattle and sheep, and some involved in mining uh, industry uh, nearby. But prior to the first century, if we go back four or five centuries, uh, Colossi was the much bigger city. And so ancient writers t- speak of Colossae as a, a large city, the most significant city in the area. Uh, so things changed by the time we get to the first century and the
0: rise of the Roman Empire. So, Clint, why uh, why would Colossae be of such great importance to Paul? That's a fascinating question because there's no evidence that
2: Paul was ever there. Oh, okay. Uh, When when we read through the book of Acts and Paul's missionary journeys, uh, there's no mention of Colossae. He travels north of this site to get to the west coast of Asia Minor, but no indication that he stopped in Colossae. there's a slight chance that in his three-year ministry in Ephesus that he uh, may have journeyed the hundred miles out to Colossae for a short period, but there's no evidence of that. We can only speculate. What the text of Colossians tells us is that a man named Epaphras, who was a colleague of Paul's, who apparently heard the gospel while Paul was in Ephesus and responded— Epaphras was from Colossae, and he uh, uh, took the gospel from Ephesus back to Colossae and shared the gospel there, and churches sprung up in Laodicea, Herapolis, and Colossae, and these were um, uh, the founding of the churches in that, in that particular area. So Paul felt uh, a pastoral responsibility because Epaphras was one of his uh, colleagues and co-workers.
0: Clint, I'm just trying to get a layout in my mind here. I'm not looking at a map, and that would be helpful if I did. But how do I place Colossae and Laodicea and Heropolis together? How do they look on a map?
2: Yeah, so if we go to a map of modern-day Turkey, um, or some people might think of it in relationship to Asia Minor in their uh, Bible atlas, in the map in the back of their Bible, uh, Ephesus was the big city. Uh, it was the large metropolis city that was on the west coast of Asia Minor, again, modern-day Turkey. Uh and that was the hub of air, all the activity there. And we know that Paul spent a lot of time there because it was a strategic center. Now, if we if we go due east, just go straight east, about 110 miles, we land at Colossae. And there was a triangle of cities there, Colossae, Laodicea, and Herapolis Uh that were in a little valley, an agricultural valley called the Lycus Valley, a uh, very fertile valley uh, with able to grow a lot of crops. And I feel right at home there because I grew up in the San Joaquin Valley of California, and it seemed like when uh, the first time I went there to visit, I thought, this is just like home for me, uh, the growing cotton here. Mm. And the only difference is instead of the John Deere cap, they've got a, they're wearing turbans uh, as they drive their <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. And was there a earthquake in the first century that kind of uh, destroyed Colossae?
2: Yeah, that's a fascinating thing. There's a number of historical sources that tell us there was a massive earthquake that destroyed uh, Laodicea. And destroyed uh, Herapolis. Uh, this earthquake uh, required intervention from the Roman government for uh, for Laodicea to be rebuilt. And it's mentioned that way in the historical sources. Colossi was so small and insignificant that it's just not even mentioned. We just know about the earthquake from these other cities. <clears throat> now. Uh, there are geologists today that have looked at the tectonic plates and the fault lines in that area, and they've determined that there would have been a fault that there is a fault line that goes through that area that would have been capable of an earthquake in the range of 6.5 to 7.1 on the Richter scale. Uh, so, if we think back of what construction was like. Uh, 2,000 years ago, there was no reinforcing with uh, metal rebar. Uh, there were just columns and uh, blocks of uh, marble stacked up on each other. And so an earthquake in the six-point range would have just been absolutely wow. devastating.
0: Yeah. Let me take my first break. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. We're talking about the excavation of Colosse, and lots more to learn about that. If you have a question, let me know what it is. I'll ask uh, Dr. Arnold, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Dr. Clint
0: Arnold is my guest talking about excavation of Colossae today. If you have questions, let me know, 877-933-2484. Love to hear from you. So I'm just trying to sort this out, Clint. So you need permission from the Turkish government to go do some kind of uh, excavation. I would imagine they're going to be sending someone, some Turkish archaeologist for supervising and then I'm guessing anything that turns up belongs to them, doesn't it?
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. it. Um, in the 1800s, uh, the Austrian Archaeological Institute in Vienna began excavating Ephesus. So ex- Ephesus has been excavated every year since the uh, late 1800s. But in those days, uh, significant discoveries were taken away from the site, and there's a wonderful Ephesus Museum in uh, Vienna, Austria. If you're ever there, you've got to see the Ephesus Museum. It's amazing. And the British Museum got a lot of artifacts. Well, that's a no-no today. You keep the artifacts in the country. And this is where the Turkish archaeologists have been doing such a, an excellent job of creating museums on site, So there's an Ephesus Museum near Ephesus that's absolutely splendid. Uh, There's a museum at Herapolis. They will be building one at Laodicea, and I would presume that they would build one at Colossi. Now, the excavators at Colossi will be primarily Turkish archaeologists, and so they've done an incredible job of raising up a new generation of Turkish archaeologists that do superb work.
0: Clint, if you were um, having an archaeological dig wish list for the city of Colossae, what might be on it?
2: Well, that's uh, a fascinating thing because the, Paul's letter to the Colossians has a unique problem looming in the background that's often referred to as the Colossian heresy. And there's some crazy things that are happening and there's unique vocabulary words that are used in the Greek text to describe the, the unique features of this, uh, uh, of this teaching. And so um, there's the potential for unlocking a lot of insight into what was the nature of the problem that was going on in the Colossian church uh, that's it, it, characteristic of this uh, situation there.
0: When Paul writes his letter to the people there, what what does he want them to know?
2: <clears throat> the big emphasis in the letter to the Colossians is that Jesus is Lord. Uh, Jesus is Lord, and the implications of that for all of life— Jesus is Lord not only over the political powers of the day, the might of the Roman Empire, but Jesus is also Lord of the supernatural realm. So he's Lord over uh, the principalities, the powers and authorities, the thrones and dominions. And there's a huge vocabulary that Paul uses to describe these supernatural powers. And so people in uh, the local religions certainly had a fear of their gods and their goddesses and all of the spirits related to uh, these gods and goddesses. And so Colossians begins with this amazing poetic praise of Jesus, who is in the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, who created everything in heaven and on earth and sustains the universe, and will be bringing the universe into full completion as part of his work. Uh, so the exaltation of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, is the big, big message of Colossians.
0: Yeah, and this gets me very excited. I mean, what, um, what, what would be your personal favorite aspect of Colossians, as a, as a guy who has studied it for a long, long time and written commentaries on it?
2: Yeah, I'm just completing a commentary right now on the book of Colossians, and it's an in-depth, exegetical treatment of the text. And I'll have to tell you, Bill, I, to savor every line and every word of Colossians and go deep in that has just been such an encouragement to my faith, to my soul. And I, I, I just can't tell you how uh, profoundly impacting it's been on my own life. Um, the two things for me are just: I we worship a magnificent Savior, a magnificent Lord in Jesus Christ, and then secondly, is the amazing uh, emphasis in Colossians on our unity with Jesus. We are so closely identified with Him that. What is said to be true of him is also said to be true of us, because we're co-resurrected with him and we're seated with him at the right hand of God. Uh, The emphasis on being filled by him, um, who is the head over every rule and authority and power. um, I think there is something amazing here that all of us are just barely tapping into in terms of what it means to be in a a relationship with Christ, a union with Christ,
0: where we can draw on the resources we have in Him. Yeah, yeah, amen to that. I love what Paul says in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority
2: yes that that is just at the heart of it all i believe uh he is magnificent and we are in him and and then it goes on to say he's the head over every rule and authority which uh, gives the basis for believers to share in christ's power and authority over the realm of darkness Um, and when i teach on spiritual warfare That's a text that I lead with because that's the foundation for spiritual warfare. Christ is supreme. He's God in the flesh, and we are in Christ, and we have been filled by him.
0: Clint, was spiritual warfare something that was happening in Colossae?
2: It's all over the place, (laughs) and so I— that's just a, a theme that goes from beginning to end in Colossians, uh, spiritual warfare. It doesn't use the language of spiritual warfare, uh, but it certainly talks a lot about the struggle with principalities, powers, and authorities, and uh, various kinds of uh, elemental spirits, they call them, in Colossians two eight and 2.20. Uh, that's a major theme. Colossians also gives us the most dramatic uh, and uh, incredible depiction of the work of Christ on the cross and its relationship to the principalities and powers. We can think of the work of Christ on the cross as simply Jesus shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sins, which it is, but it also says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, that on the cross he stripped the principalities and powers, he publicly exposed them, and he led them in a triumphal procession. Uh, it's it's an amazing depiction of the implications of the cross for the p- principalities and powers for Satan's domain.
0: No, it's just I just love what you just said. It's like I want to I'm I'm standing on my feet cheering. Say more. <laughs> <laughs> but what a an
2: important message for these people to hear because uh, it would never have occurred to anyone in Colossi or anywhere in Western Asia Minor at that time to doubt the existence of these powers. For them, it was all about what do I do? How do I protect myself? Uh, How can I uh, provide protection for my family, for my livestock and all of this? And, now that they've prayed the sinner's prayer and joined the church, uh, is there anything Christ can do? Mm-hmm. I mean, in relationship to my former worship of Artemis or Zeus or uh, any of these other gods and goddesses that I formerly worshiped. And Colossians eloquently answers that question. Yes, Christ is magnificently higher than any of these Gods, goddesses, principalities, authorities—any of these things—and yeah. you are in Him. It's—it's—it's it's, it, it's it, awesome. Just it awesome. is, awesome.
0: yeah. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. We're going to continue our discussion on Colossians and Colossae and the excavation and the archaeological dig. If you have a question, let me know eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We'll be back in just a minute.
1: listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat
2: performance.
0: Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest today, kind of a suspicious last name, but... uh... He's the dean of the Talbot School of Theology and professor of New Testament language and literature. Written many books, many commentaries, and we're talking about uh, Colossians today and Colossae, uh, the archaeological dig that's about to be happening. And when I think about the church at Colosse, I, I don't know what I, what I think. Is it just like one church? Because you said Colossae wasn't very big. Was there like one church in particular Paul's writing to?
2: There were probably a number of churches there okay. would be my guess. And uh, the end of the letter, Colossians chapter four speaks of uh, churches in homes. And so it refers to Memphis and the church in her house. And it, in the book of Philemon, which is also written to that area speaks of a house church there. And so One of the things we always have to remember uh, as we look into the first century is that we couldn't have a big uh, building with a 1,000 people in it anywhere uh, in the Mediterranean world for a church. This would have come under incredible suspicion by the Roman government, and it would have been illegal because Christianity was not a legal religion under the Empire. So the church was in homes for years, uh, for centuries, actually, until the fourth century. And so in a city, there were probably networks of house churches scattered in a particular city, maybe fewer uh, house churches, certainly more, fewer house churches in Colossae than there would have been say at Ephesus a, a city of a quarter of a million
0: Clint was Colossae perhaps the location for um Paul's well let's see no no I'm asking this question right Paul's letter to Philemon Yes that's uh the most likely
2: scenario okay. there these two letters were written about the same time and have many of the same people mentioned in them. So Philemon would have been a, a wealthy landowner uh, that had slaves at that time and would have probably lived in in the city or in uh, an estate uh, nearby Colossae uh, at that time. There have been some that have disputed that because Colossae isn't explicitly mentioned in the letter to Philemon, but there's enough other evidence that would suggest that it's probably that city.
0: Mm-hmm. Clint, I would love for you to talk about the um, the lukewarm waters of Laodicea.
2: Yeah, that's an intriguing metaphor is. that John uses uh, I've already mentioned to you the uh, city of Herapolis.
0: Mm-hmm. That's where I came from.
2: Herap- Herapolis uh, was a city where there was uh, – uh, well, the earthquake, faults, of tectonic plates and everything created hot springs mm-hmm. in that city. And these hot springs produced water that uh, cascaded over the plateau – and left these uh, calcium deposits over the hill. And today the city is called by the Turks Pamukkale, which means cotton castle because of all these white cascades of uh, travertine that uh, are around the area. It's an absolutely gorgeous setting right there. But the water was, I've been in one of those pools. It's it's a great hot tub. And (laughs) and. Uh, the water would go down, but if you ate, drank that water, it, it, it's just full of all kinds of chemicals and is it, hot, and it doesn't taste good. Uh, there's also water that comes down from Mount Cadmus. It's behind Colossi, uh an 8,000-plus-foot peak, and water that would come down from there. Uh, And they would capture it in aqueducts and bring it into the city. Uh, And that would have been cold water. Uh, So there were some features of that area where you would have experiences of hot and cold water. And sometimes in the aqueducts, it's been in the small aqueducts for so long that uh, the cold water from the mountains becomes warm uh, as it gets to the city. Uh, So... Something's going on there, I think, with just some of the actual uh, geological and geographical features of that area.
0: That's so interesting. Uh, you know, that passage that Jesus talks about in Revelations about, I will spit you out of my mouth, mm-hmm. if you would be willing to talk about that a little bit, too. I know our listeners would love that. Yeah, so it's a metaphor that... Uh,
2: was in that letter to Re- to, uh, to the Laodiceans in Revelation uh, that would have immediately captured the attention of people living in that area because they had that experience of, of seeing hot water cold water uh, that would come from these various sources and lukewarm water that would come uh, in an aqueduct uh, because the water was carried from such a, a long distance. So they would have connected with that and and immediately uh in Jesus' use of that metaphor in the letter. And we all know just human experience that cool water is the refreshing water and 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 the Lord is challenging the church to be a people who are zealous for him and who uh are refreshing to one another and, and, and bring uh, the the kind of ministry, the gospel to people that would be
0: uh, refreshing. Mm-hmm. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. We're talking about Colossians and the archaeological dig of Colossae. And Clint, I'm, I'm looking at Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 3. It says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us, a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. What do you, how do we understand what the mystery of Christ is in Colossians four three?
2: Right the, the the word mystery is also a word that people in that area would have been very familiar with because of mystery religions. They had uh, local cults. Uh, including the cult of Apollo, the cult of Zeus, uh, the cult of Artemis, where mystery initiation rituals were, were done, and they were secret and so on. <clears throat> and Paul is very clear in Colossians that Jesus is uh, presented as a mystery. Uh, he was something that uh, was not previously understood, uh, and now being disclosed. But mystery was not just a term that was used in uh, in the mystery religions in the Greco-Roman world. It was also a term that we find in the book of Daniel, when Daniel had the vision of this big uh, figure made out of gold and silver and bronze and uh, legs with a mixture of uh, alloys. And this rock, not hewn with human hands comes and is hurled against that and destroys this, this, um, image. And we find out that it represents four kingdoms and Daniel explains this mystery to Nebuchadnezzar. And the word mystery appears frequently in Daniel, uh, for something that, uh, was previously undisclosed that God now reveals, as he did to Daniel in his dream. So people living in Colossae would understand the word mystery, but I think the content of that mystery is explained better through uh, the book of Daniel as God revealing his plan for the ages through Jesus Christ. Uh, And Jesus Christ is something not previously known, but revealed. He has died on a cross for our sins, and that was difficult to, for Jews at the time even to discern and understand that the Messiah must suffer and die for the sins of the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Clint, I uh, I love studying Colossians, and I love that you have all the answers for the most part, so this is good. But when I you know think Jesus commands us to love one another— And then I read what Paul says to Colossians in chapter 3 about bearing with one another. What does it mean to bear with one another? Was it an issue that was going on in in, uh, Colossae that Paul needed to send that message, or was that pretty much what was going on everywhere?
2: Because of the so-called Colossian heresy, there was a lot of tension and interpersonal conflict in the church. And so at various times in the letter, he's warning them, watch out that no one passes judgment on you, uh, like in Colossians 2.16. Uh, and he says, Elser, watch out that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit And so there were things happening within the church that was creating an environment of conflict and tension. And He's calling on them to exercise discernment and to recognize truthful teaching from false teaching and to make that discernment. But he's also calling on them uh, in the midst of this cauldron, uh, those who are being faithful to the Lord to be patient with each other in the midst of this and not uh, carp on each other and uh, have tension with each other. Uh, In the middle of a conflict, it's hard not to step on each other's toes, so to speak, in this. So uh, we definitely have a situation where there's potential for great conflict.
0: Yeah. And they didn't even have the Internet.
2: (laughs) No, they didn't. (laughs) And we (laughs) yeah, we have potential for a lot more.
0: Well, I'm just reading down in, even in Colossians chapter 4, it says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone.
2: Mm. Right. And Christianity was such a new thing in this area, and people were looking at it and wondering, what it was all about and in having qualms about it as well and we also know that the church at Colossae probably got its start in the Jewish community because there would have been a a large contingent of Jews there and it was always Paul's uh, missionary and evangelistic strategy to the Jew first and then to the Greek and that became his way of reaching the Gentiles by reaching the Gentiles who were part of the synagogue. And so the Jewish people were always looked at with suspicion by others within the community. And so there would have been plenty of opportunity for people to give a representation of what their new faith was all about, and how they did that would be crucially important in attracting folks to the
0: gospel. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Clint, if I read Colossians, are you pretty much thinking that I'm going to walk away if I read it the way Paul addressed the people there, that that I I will have total and complete sufficiency uh, in Christ in my life, not only for my salvation, but for my sanctification?
2: Well, there's some amazing teaching here that will make a difference. It'll make a big difference in anyone's life who reads the text. The difficulty that we always face in looking at Scripture is moving from the head, what we read, to the heart and Mm -hmm. getting it emblazoned on our hearts. So that's where the illumination of the Holy Spirit comes in. And I think I tell my students all the time that before you read the Bible, you've got to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be so engaged in this process of taking it and helping you richly and deeply feel and experience what this text is saying and move us into an experiential relationship with Christ where we, it's actualized in our lives uh, instead of keeping it strictly uh,
0: uh, theoretical knowledge, mm-hmm. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. I'm so glad he's with me today. You can um, send me a question you have on anything that we're talking about. If you need clarification on something or you have a question, uh, you can text to 877 933 2484. Otherwise, we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com.
1: You are listening to an Encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: Welcome back to the show. So I'm glad to have Dr. Clint Arnold on. We're talking about Colossians, and the well, in the first half of the hour we talked about the um, archaeological dig that's going on, and now we're just talking about Colossians because it's so great, which I love. And I was thinking about Colossians chapter one, uh, Clint. And it says, "And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together." What, what, what do you talk about what does it mean that he is before all things
2: right yeah he is uh temporally prior to everything and so jesus existed before he was born of the virgin mary for a lot of people that would be a surprise i mean you put yourself into the uh shoes of somebody living in first century colossae mm-hmm. that's just never heard about jesus or anything before and uh, to realize that this person that actually lived in Nazareth and walked the land of Israel actually lived before he was born, <laughs> it just seems kind of crazy. But then we find out that he was the creator of the world. He he was with God in the beginning, and he was one who uh, made heaven and earth and everything in them. It's mind-boggling. We become so accustomed to hearing about it, but the declaration that he created everything uh, in heaven and on earth is just mind-blowing. So this means that he is also temporally prior to the creation of any of these other gods and goddesses that they worshipped, that were born and uh, were like men and things like this. So it's a statement also of supremacy because uh no other god was like this uh jesus is before all of it uh and he was uh the creator himself
0: mhm i love i love not only studying but i love memorizing and i i think i memorized colossians 3:15 a long time ago where you know you say let the peace of christ rule in your hearts and be thankful i mean that's not the whole verse right now but um mm. Mm. And then after years and years, I I stopped and I thought, what does it mean to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart? I'm not even Mm. sure I have a good answer yet. Yeah, that's uh,
2: probably one thing that all of us need more than almost anything else right now with so much of the difficulties that we see uh, globally and in our own country and uh the we have an extension center for talbot school of theology in Kyiv, ukraine wow. and uh i'm praying for peace to rule in the hearts of our students and alumni uh regularly because it's just the fear of a missile strike at any moment and i think there was one in kiev just today again uh, It's so real. Uh, All of us so desperately need God's shalom uh, to rule in our lives, for sure.
0: When I think of Colossians 3 and the admonition that we uh, should—let me see if I can find the verse here real Um, quick—that we do everything that we do— in word or in deed, for God's glory. Mm. How, how do we do that? How do we make sure that whatever we do in word or deed is for God's glory? I don't know how, I don't know how to do that quite yet. You know, I think it's uh, just part
2: of this whole process that we call sanctification, that every day of our lives we, we strive to make more and more progress to align our will with God's will, and to align our behavior with God's uh, standards for us, and that brings glory to him. Whereas uh, engaging in sinful behavior, uh, pursuing various forms of idolatry, whatever it might be, in Colossians we learn that sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness amount to idolatry, and God despises idolatry. So for the way, a way for us to bring glory to God is to live out the creation, creational design and reflect His holiness and reflect His uh, uh, purity in every respect in our lives. And we do that uh, with our, our very existence, but we also do it with our lips. Mm-hmm. And so uh, expressing worship to Him, uh, extolling the magnitude of his power and his wonder and his mercy and his grace and his love is so significant. Um, but loving and embracing his son is the most important thing. So uh, holding on tight to Christ. In Colossians 2.19, it speaks of of uh, holding on and grasping and seizing and holding on tight to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I I love that imagery because uh, that is where uh, God will be well-pleased if we love His
0: Son. Mm -hmm. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. We're talking about Colossians, and when I uh, think of Colossians 3, verse 2, and I... I love this one where it says set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. How do we do that, Clint? I mean, we've got a lot going on today in this on this earth and a lot of things we have to take care of and and Paul's letter to Colossians says set your mind on things above, not on earthly things.
2: Yeah. You know, I when I was writing that section of the commentary that I'm completing right now. I spent a lot of time puzzling over that because oh, I was thinking about the very same thing. How do I do that? Um, what I came away with is we've got to be very mindful about what we think about and intentional, intentional about what we think about, uh, setting our minds, uh, putting our thoughts on certain things. Uh, is so crucial for us, and what do we expose our minds to, and what do we give our minds to for hours every day? It will have an impact on our lives, and so intentionally putting our minds, choosing to think, focusing on things that are uh, of the Lord will have a positive impact on our lives Mm -hmm. and and i think that's where it really hit me choosing not to think about things that i shouldn't and choosing to put my mind a focus of my mind on other things and i'm confronted with that choice every hour of every day Mm -hmm.
0: when is this commentary going to come out when can i get my hands on a copy well, it's due to
2: the publisher in 2013, uh, Bill. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. All right. So well, in other words, it's going well. I,
2: I hate to mention that to my students because that sets a really, sends a really wrong message. Yeah, when, it really does. When to get their papers in. Yes. Uh, but um, I I kind of took this dean role during that time, and that kind of, uh, set me off on uh, some other things. And so I'm actually stepping out of the dean's role at Talbot School of Theology and returning to the classroom. Oh wow! So I'm hoping, and I'll be on a sabbatical this fall, so I'm hoping to wrap it up and have it done by Christmas.
0: Well, who might be taking over your role?
2: There is a... a A faculty member by the name of Dr. Timothy that will be stepping into that role. And he's an outstanding administrator and a good scholar and loves the Lord and committed to the local church. And I couldn't be happier with uh, this new person stepping into that role.
0: Yeah. This is so much fun, Clint, having you on. Thank you so much for saying yes to my invitation. It really means a lot to me that you come on and and are willing to do this.
2: Well, you've chosen some topics that I just absolutely love to talk about, so thank you for the invitation, Bill, and God's
0: rich blessings on you and all your listeners. Thank you, and nice to see that your voice held up beautifully this hour. Well, thank you. All right. (laughs) Thanks for praying. Have a good night, Clint. Okay. Bye now. Thank you. Dr. Clint Arnold has been my guest, uh, dean of the School of Theology at Biola. We're going to... Um, look forward to his commentary coming out on Colossians. I can't wait to get a copy myself when it's available. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week.